I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about Thor Ragnarok, the 2017 film directed by Taika Waititi, written by Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle, and Christopher L. Yost. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hey, man. And Alex <laughs> Cayetas. Hi. Okay, so before we dive into this movie, uh, I want to announce what our next episode is so everyone can prepare. I'm really excited because I'd forgotten, and then I was going through the list, and I was like, okay, what's next? Oh, Get Out is next. One yeah. of the best movies ever. So, uh, yeah, Get Out will be our next episode. Revisit it. Visit it if you have not yet. And patrons, head over to the Patreon. There will be a link in the show notes. Head over where you can, uh, yeah, drop ideas, uh yeah what what you want us to talk about concepts uh things to pay attention to themes all that all that good stuff um we uh got a lot of cool feedback from patrons for this episode about things that they want us to talk about with thor ragnarok uh jmw music uh wants us to talk about like improv our thoughts on how improv plays into scripts seth brock Change in the tone with Thor. Is this too silly? Is it inconsistent? Is it good? Uh, Megan Chang, theme of colonialism and rewriting uglier parts of history, among many other um, yeah, suggestions are, are things that I think will be fun to pull from and frame uh, this conversation. And I'm glad I got to shout out JMW Music because they are one of the people in the live chat right now because we are recording this episode live uh you know live over the internet but streaming the <laughs> recording of this episode whenever live. you're listening to this we are doing it live <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a new technology it's a crazy quantum state <laughs> but yes we are joined by uh, a, a bunch of our lovely patrons who are uh, watching us stream this this live so uh, hopefully hopefully they enjoy themselves and have cool thoughts that we can bring into the conversation as well and recording these episodes live is something we want to try to do like once a month or so. So if you want to come and join us and watch these live recordings, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. The link is in the show notes. They are a lot of fun and you get to see all the technical problems like the ones we just had that just got cut. That nobody else knows about. What are you talking about? What are we talking about? <laughs> We've been here the whole time. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. So Thor Ragnarok. So I think it's safe to say that I I think this is people's like many people's favorite Marvel film or at least was a big turning point in I think a lot of people's relationships to Marvel. I think it did kind of reinvigorate the franchise um in my eyes anyway and and kind of especially Thor. We could talk about the, the history of the Thor Thor films. But yeah, I remember seeing the teasers for it being like, "Oh, this I don't with them." Huh? And then watching it and all of it clicking together and being like, this is so much fun. This is like some of the most fun I've had in a theater in a while. Um, and really appreciating this new take on Thor, the humor, the leaning into the kind of silliness and levity, but without breaking in my eyes anyway, the, the stakes that, that, come around like the character you're still invested in all the characters they're just having a bit more fun with it so yeah i really like this movie i think there are some interesting um structure things we can talk about and 
the design of the antagonist and how often the antagonist and the protagonist interact, I think is one of the, basically I feel like they kind of underutilize Cape Blanchett and I want to talk about that mm. at some point. Um, so I think there are bumps, there are things that I think could have been uh, massaged to be a little bit more impactful, but overall I really enjoy this film and think it's a really fun ride. Um, so to hear from you guys, Brian, tell me about Thor Ragnarok. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. Um, you know, it's funny cause it's a lot of people's favorite Marvel movie. It's also, I think some people's least favorite Marvel movie. So it's this interesting thing where it did this like crazy thing, right? Which, you know, it was riding the tale of, of guardians of the galaxy, of course, but it was just sort of like, well, we don't know what to do with Thor. <laughs> so like, let's give it to this guy and let's make it crazy. You know, I definitely want to hear from our listeners who are big comics fans and are like huge MCU fans to hear like how this felt at the time, because I know, um, you know, I'm sort of right smack dab in the middle in terms of MCU fandom, where it's like, I like it enough that I've seen every movie, some of them multiple times. I'm watching the, the shows now, but I also don't have like a deep Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, you know, like kind of connection with it where I'm like, oh, you better do this this way or I'm going to be upset kind of thing. So like, I don't really care if a, if an MCU movie just like does something totally bonkers, but that doesn't mean it's going to be for me. Like multiverse of madness was, you know, the second act of that movie, I, I kind of was really not excited about. Um, and Ragnarok is like a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit too silly for me, but ultimately I love it. Um, and I don't mind that it's not sort of, what the MCU had kind of established itself to be up to that point. Um, but it was a little bit of a shock to the system, you know, especially that first trailer. Like I, I kind of hate the friend from work line. Um, <laughs> and I, I was telling my friend about the trailer when it first came out and he was like watching all the MCU. He was even, even watching like agents of shield at that point. And I told him that that line, he went, Oh my God, <laughs> like just like, Ugh. and then we watched the movie and he had a great time watching it. And he's like, but it's so different, you know, like it's that sort of, uh, it's different and that's good and it's different, but that's bad. So we can get into all of that. Um, but ultimately, because I personally don't need the MCU to be this incredibly tightly woven, everything is aesthetically the same kind of thing. I just love this movie as a standalone movie. Like it tells you in the first few minutes what it's going to be. And then it just stays that, you know. Um, so in terms of that, like in terms of what it is as a standalone movie, I think it's just a, a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Trisha. Yeah, this is my favorite Marvel movie. Um, and it's really funny. It's great. I've seen it a bunch of times. I find it super rewatchable because uh, it's just entertaining and like stylish. And um, it, it's really funny to me. Like I'm kind of on Tyka's wavelength. I feel like I, I'm just a fan of his in general. And so like I just love all the little moments in this uh, where you can see his sense of humor coming through. Rachel House's character. You know, she's in a lot of stuff that Taika makes, but she's just awesome. There's some great um, extended sequences yeah. with, with Jeff Goldblum and her just doing like a whole like improvised run. Yeah, she's incredible. I, I, like I just, there's so much of it that I love. Um, obviously, Korg is the best character in the MCU. Um, <laughs> distraught to learn that the whole next <laughs> no, the whole next movie isn't just about Korg. Uh, apparently, there's all these other people that are going to be in it, too. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I really enjoy this. Now, as, like, an MCU fan, do I think it, like, 
fits super well <laughs> into the MCU. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> Probably not. Um, I think it is more on the wavelength of Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it takes a lot of cues from those movies mm-hmm. um, in terms of its humor, in terms of its aesthetic, right, as well. And so I think the fact that the Guardians of the Galaxy movies had proved that that could work um, – really did this movie a lot of favors. Uh, I think at the time that I saw it first, I hadn't even really seen the Thor movies. I saw the first one on an airplane and I was like, wow, all right. And then I think I had skipped the dark world entirely, um, which is fine. It's extremely skippable. Uh, you don't need it uh, to ex- to really experience the rest of the MCU. But um so I think that, you know, all I knew really about Thor at the time was what I knew of him from like Age of Ultron and the Avengers and um, the big group movies and everything. And so and I found him as a character kind of stiff in those movies, you know, like they play a little bit with like he's a fish out of water. He's this like weirdly stilted Shakespearean like God who thinks that everything is I was going to say like of biblical proportions. Um <laughs> Or, you know, the stakes are, are, he has, he walks around with all this gravitas uh, when the situation doesn't call for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just thought it was really smart to evolve the character in this way. And I think we can get into it more, but I do think that there is like, you can kind of see him changing a little as even just, if you just watch the Avengers and you watch Age of Ultron and stuff, you can see like, Tony Stark rubbing off on him and like the kind of humor of those movies rubbing off on him and the absurdity of their position as superheroes on earth is very present. That, that sense of humor is in those, uh, those couple movies as well. And so I think it makes total sense to me that Thor would start to see himself, uh, with a little bit less, um, just take himself a little less seriously. Uh, and there's still enough, I think in this movie to keep it, mostly you know feeling all of a piece and that like things matter that happen right Mm -hmm. a couple people don't make it out of this movie um and so i think there's you know there are some stakes but it certainly isn't captain america the winter soldier right (laughs) yeah like when you stand it next to that movie you're just like oh god (laughs) Uh, that's a great movie. It's very, very, very different than right. this one. Yeah, well, and it, I think this movie doesn't seem like it needs to be doing other work for the MCU very much. Like it right. kind of it collects some people, but those people already needed collecting anyway. So there's kind of like a freedom to go off and tell this other story, which I think in my mind also helps it be okay that it's this totally different thing. There are no infinity stones in this. Right. <laughs> That's what I love to see. <laughs> they mentioned them. Almost. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It does I like know, connect infinity more, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but everything connects. Yeah. I want to <laughs> no, well, hear Alex's Alex. thoughts. But <laughs> yeah. just because you, you mentioned the watching the first one on a plane, I... For a gig, I had to film people coming out of a new, like, Dolby theater and a uh, theater, you know, like an hour outside of L.A., just like a random suburb. suburb. Uh, and so I had to, like, wait until after every showing of Thor to catch people as they were coming out of the theater and then interview them. And it was like a 12-hour day. And so there were, like, six, five or six showings of Thor that I had to just, like, sit and wait through. 
Uh, and so I ended up basically seeing Thor like five or six times that day, like the, <laughs> the original, the original. Movie. but it, like from different <laughs> parts of the theater. Cause it was like, like a Tuesday. So it was pretty empty. I got to go like back where they do the projector and like watch it from there. So I know so a lot know about that the movie first really well. movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Alex, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, this definitely came out by the time that I had reached my Marvel fatigue. Um, and, you know, I saw I saw the trailer too, Brian, and I was just like, OK, yeah, there's the jokey jokes. And, you know, there's the he's going to fight. He's going to fight the Hulk. Look, they're going to punch each other. And so I was kind of in in that mode going into this movie. But I heard it was kind of fun. It was Taika Waititi. It was like different. So I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to go check this out. And I had a great time. And I, I think I saw it by myself. Actually, I went on a whim and just like walked to the movie theater and saw it. And when the credits were rolling, I was like, I'm really happy right now. This was a great, fun experience. And and I think a lot of it was just because the movie announced in that first scene, like you said, Michael, like this is what we're doing. This is first and for- foremost a Taiki Watiti comedy, basically. Um, and I like that. And and I and it doesn't really it's 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 that kind of comedic sensibility on a grand epic scale. Uh, but but at its heart that is what it cares about. And, and that's what every scene is going to come back to mostly. Um, and so it was just a lot of fun and it did feel, yeah, unshackled from a lot of the burden of, of being like a middle movie in this like endless string of Marvel storytelling, uh, which was just like kind of a relief. It was just like, okay, like this can just be its own thing and just be fun. You know, I think, my least favorite parts of it are the parts where it feels like it is doing mandatory business, you know, where mm. it's like, we got to go, we got to go see Dr. Strange. We got to go yeah. over here and like wrap up Anthony Hopkins in this like CG Norway cliff. And, um, <laughs> you know, it just like, it's like, this doesn't feel like necessarily it, it, it would be a part of a standalone movie uh, of Thor Ragnarok, but it like must be here as mandatory pieces on the board to like put into place. Besides that stuff, it it is like, blissfully free of a lot of a lot of that and uh and i think just the aesthetic of it you know the, the colorfulness the the poppy just like 80s retro vibes of the sets and you know, it's just it's very refreshing because it's also a and this is just an overall kind of modern american blockbuster vibe of just like that kind of there's a lot of people talking about it on twitter just like a gray washed outness mm-hmm. to to just like cgi and action scenes and just the color palette being very just ugh. and and this movie is just so it's just like a beautiful like rainbow popsicle uh, that's just very <laughs> and, like just fun to look at you know literally rainbow road literally yeah. the yeah. All, all the spaceships are super colorful and the sets are super colorful and it's just fun to look at um and and it feels right for the for the tone so yeah just overall just just really enjoy taking in this movie in a way that i think a lot of the other yeah middle connective tissue marvel movies feel more like a chore to me and just like this is necessary for the gigantic vision this feels in and of itself just to be a great thing that i want to watch um yeah i I have to i was thinking about you know the the alex law of bounciness um (laughs) while i was watching this and i was like i have to imagine for you like the bouncy issue comes from when a movie shouldn't be do you know what I mean? Like Correct. this movie feels yes. like yeah. it's just I like no, I have no problem with this movie being bouncy right. because it's a bouncy movie. And and I think I think yeah, I think that's where the Marvel thing is. 
it's, it can be strange for me when people are like, you know, this feels so wrong that this is too like silly because it's like even the serious Marvel movies like always go to like too silly a place like like the tone never feels like it lands in a place where I get I get like super invested in I mean, Endgame to this for me, I think uniquely. But but a lot of the Marvel films, like the Captain America films that I think are regarded as like these are the really good ones because they're really like dark and serious they still, you know, it's about Bucky and it's like the, the action still gets really <laughs> obscenely huge and like crazy. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think there's like a good, there's a mix of elements that never coheres for me where I can like feel totally invested. And this, this worked for me of just like, we're not, nothing is serious. It's a comedy. It's fun. So the bouncy colorfulness is all, all of a piece and it's all flowing together. Like that's what I really appreciate about this movie. And it's not telling me to feel deep, serious emotions while also showing me like completely like almost ungrockable levels of like bouncy action. But like this is deadly serious. Like this is real. Um, so, yeah, this this movie works for me for all those reasons. And I really enjoyed rewatching it. Well, I think. To your point, the story world is really important here where so many other Marvel movies are literally on Earth, right? They're trying to stay grounded on Earth in our universe on Midgard, I guess. But like the gravity of the literal physical gravity of Earth, American cities like, you know, or international cities and buildings and grass and trees and like the Avengers are running around in Sokovia, which is apparently a country here on earth and like they're in you know or wakanda or whatever but it's still like we are here on earth and there is a brief detour where they go to earth for this movie they mostly spend it on that cliff and ice in norway um if they the brief brief moment they're on earth and or they're in dr strange's house real quick but like overwhelmingly the story world here is that trash planet (laughs) I don't remember what it's called, <laughs> but um, Jeff Goldblum's Trash Planet and Sinkor or something like Asgard, that. yeah. Um, and so, like you know, it's I feel like that already is like again. It reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like we're a space movie, we're in space, we're on spaceships, mm-hmm. we're like on alien planets, we're in alien houses or arenas or castles or whatever it is. And I think that that's just. It helps us get on board with like, I don't need this to look real. Look, here's a giant wolf and a a man that's a pile of rocks. Sure. (laughs) I don't need that to look like anything in particular. It can look like whatever it wants to look like. Right. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. And this summer, Mubi's acclaimed audio documentary series, Mubi Podcast, returns for its second season. This time, the focus is on movie theaters, because in a time when too many cinemas are shutting down, Mubi thinks it's time to lift them up. Titled only in theaters, the new season will tell surprising stories of individual movie theaters that had a huge impact on film history, and in some cases, history in general. 
Listen to the latest season of the Movie Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And right now, you can try Movie for free for 30 days at movie.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay for a whole month of great cinema for free. All right, back to the show. So, yeah, I think that that is all these things that we're saying, I think, clearly sets this movie apart and resets expectations I can understand how that can be jarring. Like that that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on where you're coming from. But I think to the movie's credit, as I think you said, Trisha, maybe it was Brian, the the opening tells you immediately what right. it is and sets the tone. But it, and the movie does kind of do some housekeeping where it's like previous important subplot characters for Thor, like um, you know, the Warriors Three, Cinema Martian pointed this out on Patreon. Like Thor had a bunch of buddies that like were with him on previous journeys. Their character development wasn't great. Uh, and they're kind of just kind of swept away in this one. One just isn't in this movie at all. And the other two like get killed immediately by Hela. And it's like, thanks for showing up for today. Um, and I think that that kind of ties into, you know, so so Hela. I think I want to talk about her as an antagonist and and even just like the character arc of Thor in this movie and, and how those things are related. But like the most exciting part of this movie to me was Kate Blanchett is going to walk around and look cool and say cool things and kill people. And throw lots of knives and swords. Yes. <laughs> An infinite yeah. number, you might think. Yes. It's like Legolas's like infinite arrows. <laughs> right. She just... She always has more knives to throw yeah. to just come out of her. She's and she's going to show fun. us every time the way her horns yeah. go. <laughs> but then they can't afford to do it again, so they just do a shadow. <laughs> Why would her power be knives? Like, your your knife power? Your dagger power? I mean, I don't, I don't hate too. it, but it is. I, yeah, sure. And the behind the scenes, they said that she was born with a special gift to create weapons that she wanted. So that's just that's how she was born. Cool. Okay. Um, Born this way. I just imagine baby Hella like throwing knives. <laughs> Shooting knives. Yeah. Like Jack Jack and like incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, she has this really cool entrance. It's interesting that it's like this is the sibling you didn't know you had, dark history of the family and of our people and all this stuff. And then they're separated for the rest of the movie, and she ends up just kind of running around with like Carl Urban for like the whole thing. Uh and I think that's, I feel like it's a waste of a Cape Blanchett, like I said in the beginning, but also for Thor to have a bit more of a character arc and for her to be more involved in the Loki Thor evolution. Because um, as it is, they like kind of change and people around Thor change sort of in a flat arc, but it doesn't feel super duper earned for me. And I feel like that's for me the weakest part of the movie as well it's super entertaining i don't feel like it's telling a super compelling cause and effect character arc story yeah i agree i think there's a really interesting you know uh we had that question uh, about colonialism that you mentioned um as a theme and i think that those themes are the ones that kind of stand out more prominently when you think back on this movie where you're like oh, actually, there were these lies that were being told about our history, right? And, um, you know, the obvious, like, other place that we see that theme is when Thor first comes back to Asgard and Loki is there and he's pretending to be Odin right at the beginning. And he, they have that 
you know, they're watching a play <laughs> with, with like Matt Damon and Sam Neill and everybody. Um, and they're, they're telling a lie, right. Or like they're, they're creating a myth that is, we know to be a false myth about Loki's place. Um, and the history of Asgard and the history of the family, the Royal family and everything. And so there's this idea that, you know, we cover things up, we cover up the parts of our history that are shameful and we rewrite them and we tell other stories about them. And that's what Hela's gripe is, right? That Odin covered her up because he found that part of his history to be shameful. His oldest daughter was like a conqueror and a bloodthirsty warrior. And he's embarrassed about that fact now. Um, you know, Kate Blanchett's character has that line. Hella has that line. Proud of what he has, ashamed of how he got it or something like that. Mm. Um, and that is a, a theme that is fascinating. And I think the movie really addresses it. And of course, like, thematically arrives at a place of like, well, burn it all down, <laughs> right? Because that's what ends up happening to Asgard, all of this stolen gold and all of this like treasure that was taken and like um, the empire that was built is kind of fundamentally toxic at its roots. And so the only thing to do with that empire is to like burn it down pretty much. Um, that has nothing to do with Thor's arc. <laughs> all of that is really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and it's, it's all really interesting, too, that the MCU was kind of interested in this um, at the time because there's a kind of a similar arc going on in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where uh, – a few spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but, like, Star-Lord finds his father and his father has also kind of lied about his entire history and has also built an empire by <laughs> – creating children all over the thing, or he literally is a planet. Um, both of those things I think are the case, <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's another like toxic empire. Right. Um, and the bad guy in that case, like I said, literally is the heart of the planet and they have to like kill the entire planet in order to kill him. Um, and so it's really similar in some ways to this, but again, Thor's arc, not super connected <laughs> to that theme, which I think is really interesting. You know, Thor is just kind of on his perpetual journey of like, should I be a king? Would I be a good one? What am I supposed to do about it? Um, and a lot of the little episodes on this don't really point him towards anything in particular. Like it does question, you know, the first Thor movie sets up like, you're the best king in the world, Odin. I want to be just like you. And then Odin's reputation being eroded and eroded over the course of the Thor movies, which does happen, right? Even in the first Thor movie, we find out that Odin lied about who Loki is um, for his own selfish purposes, essentially. Um, so Odin not being the great king that Thor thought he was and wanted to be like is already kind of driving at that question of like, do I really want to be a king like Odin if this was the kind of king Odin was? But it isn't at the forefront of the text at all. Um, and Thor's arc is, he goes from not having the lightning eye power to having the lightning eye, eyes and eyes and hands power by the end because he loses his hammer so early on in this. So I feel like that is, again, loosely connected at best. Yeah, I, I'm sort of of two minds of this, where on one hand, I agree with everything you guys are saying. It was all beautifully said. Um, but also, it's like they could have just made the bad guy be 
some monster of the week, you know, or whatever, like, which I think uh, Christian Bale might be in, in um, Love and Thunder. Uh, Christian Bale's in Love and Thunder? He's, he's the villain. Know yeah. That. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, his, his plan is to kill all the gods. Um, <laughs> because he thinks Sounds gods like are, because Bale. gods are selfish. Um, but, uh, but like they didn't, right? So they, they did, as you were saying, Trisha, they did do this thematic thing where they're like, okay, we have Thor and we have his brother Loki and we're going to wrap things up with their father. And, you know, I love that scene. I think it's beautiful. Um, and you could see even Loki is touched when he, when Odin says like my sons, Loki's like, okay, he, he included me. Um, and then, you know, the, the villain is hey by the way you have a sister and she sucks um and so like that's all that's all great uh and you know from a top-down design thing i think you guys are spot on that it could have been tied more closely to the character's arc and da 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 but it's thor ragnarok i kind of don't care and like i'm just happy for it to be whatever it is i do like that the characters are able to kind of change in this movie like you said they don't change in a sort of a plot arc way but they change in terms of like Things ha- things are different at the end of the movie, even if it's just like his hair shorter or something like that. Like they actually let let there be some evolution happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, and really quickly uh, in the chat, one of our patrons, Michael, pointed out uh, that there is that symbol at the end where when Thor loses an eye and he looks more like Odin, right. as we know, like he kind of is becoming Odin in a way, but obviously he's purposefully shifting away from the all the spoils of war and everything like Asgard, he's becoming more of a leader among the people rather than like a leader in a golden castle somewhere. Um, So it's kind of like Thor is taking his place. We see that with the loss of that eye, he is kind of becoming Odin. But at the same time, the Thor that's sitting, you know, in that spaceship (laughs) with just like (laughs) the refugees, right? The people of Mm -hmm. his, um, the refugees from Asgard around him looking for a new place to call home. That's a very different kind of king than the one that built an empire. So, yeah. And then he's about to have baby uh, Captain Kirk. Um, right. When the, <laughs> 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 exactly. um, and the other thing I'll say just about Hela in general, I mean, I, I'm a huge Kate Blanchett fan and I think she's awesome in this movie and looks great too. Um, but like, uh, but I also just like enjoy the scenes that she's in, you know, and I think that like that's yes. the sort of the bad guy test of a movie. If you look at like Red Skull from the first Captain America, be like, I don't care at all when he's on screen. I don't whatever, you know. Um, but if you look at, you know, there's Killmonger and there's Joker from Dark Knight or something like that, which are like some of the best, you know, antagonists ever. I wouldn't say Hela is there, but I do just enjoy when she's on screen. I don't feel like I'm checking my watch when she shows up to be like, well, we got to get past this scene to get back. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be a really this is also going to be a fun, entertaining scene just in a different way than the Jeff Goldblum scenes or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it is interesting. I was just I think the theme that does happen at the end is, you know, Odin has that line of like Asgard isn't a place, it's a people, right? I think mm-hmm. that's the lesson that's learned. I think it's not super clear that Thor like really needs to learn that lesson, but I guess like, you know, fight for the people, not the place is cool. But I think that is expressed more through like the Tessa Thompson character and sort of the like the yeah. the surrounding characters, I think, together form that arc and have these markers of change, like you're saying, Brian, where like by the end everyone looks different and has kind of like moved forward in a way and together all of that feels like a shift and it's like no it's not about the place it's about the people 
and then you watch Infinity War, they're all dead. So it didn't didn't matter <laughs> yep. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great lesson that was learned. It's the, yeah. the Alien 3 problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Remember all those people who saved in the last movie? <laughs> yeah, but, but Brian, to your point about Hello, like I think I admitted no when I was watching, just it, it's just so much fun to watch every scene in this movie because even if there's exposition happening or whatever it's it's being delivered with this like tight comedic timing there's this really smooth editing happening that makes every line hit that's supposed to be a little a little aside or a little joke and it just feels so good in a way that i think yeah sometimes other superhero movies not just marvel but just you know just kind of american blockbusters it's like here's a jokey joke moment for our blockbuster and it just never quite hits or it's kind of like, eh, like there's, that's that. But there's the Taika Waititi, like just, I don't know, cleverness and smoothness. And there's, there's like layers to a lot of the comedy or just you know, the exact awkwardness or strangeness of a character is like finely tuned. And I just found that to be, it just helped everything go down real smooth. You know, there was, like you said, Brian, there's no scene where I'm like, okay, here's the obligatory bad guy, like discussion scene where they walk through their plan and yada, yada. I never, I never feel that in this movie. And there's plenty of other superhero blockbuster movies where it's just like, here's this scene. We got to do it. There's nothing else happening besides the one thing. And it's just kind of exhausting. And this movie feels very alive because of all those layers of comedy and just cleverness. Yeah, and we had, we had a few um, people ask us about the comedy of this movie, Kyle and Theo, for a few. And just like, is it overused? Is it too much? And and you know, uh, uh, Theo especially was like, I, I think that when um, the comedy happens, it's like there's so much of it that you can't take the serious moment seriously. And I think I don't know. I think Taika for me he does the Jojo Rabbit thing where he's like, we are going to slow things down now, and we are going to take a serious beat. You know, Mark Mothersbaugh's score is going to stop being crazy 80s retro and it's going to get a little more serious and we are going to take that odin moment or we are going to take that moment between thor and loki where where they sort of connect and then we're going to get back into it you know but like i i feel for me personally it's as you were saying alex it's a good balance where i don't feel like the movie is so crazy that i can't actually take things seriously when when the movie wants me to well yeah and and i think what you what you get with a taika waititi is someone that knows how comedy works like yes. you can't comedy yeah. isn't just here's a close-up someone says a line that was a joke like comedy requires <laughs> <Yeah>. like construction <laughs> the way you shoot it the way it's paced like all these things yes. really really matter you can't just like tack it on and expect it to be amazing yes. uh and so i think that that is what is what i love about this movie to all of your guys points is like even in scenes where it's like i don't know that like dramatically this is the most powerful thing there's still excellent construction happening to like make each beat entertaining and feel smooth um and yeah we got a lot of questions about like improv and Mm -hmm. the role of improv in um yeah in comedy in filmmaking in all these things i think the yeah so first of all we were sort of talking off mic about like what do people mean when they say improv? And I think there's a misconception there. Uh, Brian, I know you had some thoughts on that. Do you want to sort of walk us through the misconceptions maybe that people have when they hear like everything was improvised in this movie? Right, exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, very few things out there are like entirely 100% improvised. Um, then there are things like Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, where 
the the plot is written, but then the scenes are improvised where they tell the act. Sometimes the actors don't even know what the next part of the plot is. They just tell them, here's what you need in this scene. And here's what you need in this scene. And then they go and, and they improvise. Right. Um, and then but a lot of times what happens in movies is improvising is done in rehearsals and in early takes. And then they kind of fine tune it and find the scene that they want to use. And then that becomes what they actually film. Maybe that even gets written into a shooting script because it was, you know, um, it was done in rehearsals. And then, then, then they're sort of, okay, we're going to improvise this scene live. But then of course we're going to, in editing and in, in, uh, future takes and that kind of thing, we're going to then hone it you know, down into something, which is right. It's super fun. To, like there's this whole sequence where it's Jeff Goldblum and Rachel house. And he's like, and he does like a wave go away thing. And they don't Loki and, uh, Valkyrie don't leave. And, and after they leave, he's like, I thought that was a universal sign. And he's like, there are a lot of universal signs. And he does like the, 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 I need my check thing. You know, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, what does that mean? And she's like, uh, dessert and he's like no no this is dessert and he's like mm, mm, you know like, he does, does this whole and like that doesn't belong in the movie i don't like that would like screw up the pacing if it was like a fight but it's a really fun by itself little thing to watch um there was the whole team thor thing that was going on during civil war uh where it was just like thor gets a roommate and <laughs> like he's just bored and hanging out with this roommate and he's trying to get in touch with with cap and tony and he's like i guess they're having a fight over there and it's just like these really fun improvised things that exist out there but the movie that they made they took those little bits and pieces and they put them they peppered them throughout the movie but you get a movie where every scene is a scene right and it's driving the plot forward and i think of like the judd apatow movies which i love those movies but you do have scenes that are just like we are going to watch these actors improvise with each other for five minutes the movie is two and a half hours long if you get the director's cut and like the, nothing has changed at the end of the scene that from the beginning of the scene. Um, and like that can be OK, that can be entertaining. But I think ultimately this movie does a very good job of Taika having his crazy Taika-ness and letting the actors have their like do crazy stuff or whatever. But then whatever the process was through again rehearsals uh taika did a pass on the script after you read like there is a script to this movie um and you know there's the original script taika did a pass on the script and then there's whatever they improvised in the moment and how they fine-tuned that in rehearsals in uh multiple takes and then of course in editing you get a movie that doesn't feel like it's wasting a bunch of time with improv you get some fun little like oh he turned me into a snake like, ah! like those things where that is just hemsworth um riffing and they had like but they went over it a bunch of times he turns them into a different animal and stuff that was the take they used so i think that's a lot of people just think improv is like they put the camera on an actor and let him go right and it's like no there's it's actually in some cases much harder to have a movie that has a lot of improv in it than a movie that where you just have a script that you're shooting. So um, it can be used poorly, uh, but I think this is a great example of a movie where it is used very well. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah. And the thing that I love about the comedy in this movie, you know, regardless of, we will never know exactly how much of it was improv probably, but like, is the interplay between the characters and when it feels like there's this sort of like effortlessness 
to the way the scene is moving along. So the the comedy is like not just like banter back and forth that doesn't go anywhere. It's banter that's advancing the scene. And so like thinking about the scenes between Thor and uh, the Hulk when like the Hulk is, you know, in full Hulk form and whatever. Um, and they're arguing and he's like, you know, I don't even like banter. Like we, we like you, I prefer you, you know, you should come back to earth. He's, he has a goal, right? We understand why he's talking to the Hulk in that scene. He's trying to get something from that goal. The same thing when he's talking to Tessa Thompson's character, Valkyrie, right? Like, they're kind of going back and forth and it is really funny um, the way that they're arguing with each other. Uh, but there's, it's conflict. It's funny because it's conflict and they're using tactics to try to get what they want from that scene. The same thing with Thor and Loki. Like when they're going back and forth, we think it's really funny most of the time because we know those two characters and we understand here are two characters in conflict who see the world in completely different ways and they're pushing and pulling each other. And it often is really funny, but it also is like driving towards what's the next thing that, that's going to happen between the two of them. Right. One of the funniest little recurring jokes in this is Thor throwing things at Loki, right. To make <laughs> sure he's there. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's really great, but again, Soft ghost. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite line. Um, the, the knives hands person also is just the funniest. <laughs> Sorry. Korg is Korg. I love Korg. Um, but anyway, like, but that recurring joke drives at the heart of the characters, right? Which is that Loki never cares enough to show up for Thor, to really show up for Thor. Um, and then there's a payoff, exactly right. Uh, JMW Music just said in the chat, it pays off incredibly beautifully at the end when he goes and throws that thing at him and Loki catches it because he really is there. So the comedy is not about nothing. Like there are some little moments here and there that feel like just that random humor, right? And Korg is kind of one of those and um, there's other little beats. <laughs> Korg's like, do you want to do you want a, a wooden fork? Yeah, it probably would only work with three vampires standing close together. <laughs> like, I just, it's so great. And of course, that's not related to anything, right? So there are those moments that are really funny. But some of the best ones that are, like, are setups, their payoffs, their character moments. And the comedy helps also the serious beats land when we get to the serious beats. So when Thor and Loki are in the elevator and he's like, oh, you know, I don't know what you think of me or something. Or that's not what you think of me. He's, oh, that's what it was. He's like... Is that really what you think of me, right? Because Thor has just told him that you would do really well here, right? It's all chaos and and greed and everything. He's like, oh, you you thrive here. He's like, you really think so poorly of me. And he's like, I thought the world of you. Um, those moments, just the simple, plain spoken, I'm going to tell you the truth instead of riffing or making a crack, those land because everything else were so... We come to expect the crack or the joke or the fast line back and it instead lands right there in the dramatic beat. So I just want to also just reemphasize what Michael said earlier about just you can feel when you're in the hands of a director who understands all the aspects of how to shoot and edit comedy, you know, where it's once again, it's not just even what the actors are saying. It's the way one shot moves into the next and the and the exact moment that edit happens that makes that moment feel like a perfect comedic beat. And that's where this movie really shines in a way that a lot of other, yeah, I think Marvel movies or just 
blockbuster movies that are trying to be kind of also comedies fall flat for me is just there's just not that precision of the direction uh when it comes to the comedic moments and and that that just does everything um and yeah tyke is the best <laughs> when it comes to that and it's astounding that he's every bit as good at the action scenes as he is at those yes. comedy sequences. The climactic battle in this movie on the Rainbow Bridge is like my favorite battle in the entire MCU. It's so cool. <laughs> it's just the so action cool. is legitimately cool. And like even yeah. just watching the spaceships chase each other is is kind of just more fun and more visually interesting than a lot of other of the more like. We previs this, you know, two years ago already, uh, you know, action scenes like this feels, I don't know, just like in its bounciness, it has a coherence and a visual language that is that is fun to watch. Well, uh, yeah, and it's possible they had prevised those sequences True. two years ago. But I think I think to your point, it's like I think there are because, uh, yeah, the action sequences are interesting because I don't find them super compelling or like thrilling right. in a way that I often want an action sequence to be, but I do find them very entertaining. And I think this right. is kind of what, what you're pointing out there, Alex is like, they're, these aren't sequences that are pretending like Thor could die at any moment. Like we know, we know that's not going to happen. So it's right. just designed to be like a fun character revealing character expressing like sequence of, um, yeah, visual, auditory funness so it's telling a story it's revealing character but it's not necessarily about the stakes of the situation because and, and part of that i think is right. like you were saying earlier trisha like the story world and the tone of this movie like we know this isn't a movie where our main characters are going to die like that's that's not a thing that's that's set up and we know we're in a marvel movie but it's uh yeah it is focusing us on the right aspects of the character in the comedy and the action scenes are in step with all of that as well. And, and the music helps too, which is like a fun kind of retro vibe, uh, just synth track comes on. I'm just like, yeah, this is going to be a fun ride. Not like, you know, the more kind of classic, like here's like the Alan Silvestri. <laughs> this is a real movie score. Like this is like deadly serious. It's like, nah, we're like on an arcade game. Let's go have fun. For anyone who doesn't know who Mark Mothersbaugh is, he's from Devo, the the 80s band. Uh, and then he also nice. scored a bunch of uh, Wes Anderson's movies, too. Nice. But just to what you were saying right there, Michael, it's not like it, the action is super bouncy, but there are also these really great character moments like sprinkled throughout that kind of like just when you might be starting to tune out and be like, well, now it's just a brawl on the rainbow bridge or whatever. There's always then like a little moment where it's like, oh, but then, you know, Carl Something Urban happens. is going to decide to like throw down his weapon and join the refugees. And then there's these little character moments that always like, I don't know, keep me like focusing again on what's going on. And same thing with, yeah, that, that spaceship flight chase sequence on, um, what is the name of that track? Sakar. Sakar, thank you. <laughs> they say it a lot, but I know no one cares. Do, but... <laughs> um, With the devil's anus. <laughs> so good. Um, anyway, but that, like, even with, yeah, Tessa Thompson's character, like, where she is willing to, like, jump out of the thing and sacrifice herself. And they, they just have these little moments um, that keep the action feeling like it's about something. That yeah. something could change. Not that someone's going to die, but something could 
significantly change for the characters. And I think that's enough in this movie to keep us watching. And it's not a super long battle either, but no. as you said, it has a bunch of different beats and change, moments where something changes. And I think that's really exciting as opposed to movies where you just feel like you're watching people fight for like 10 minutes and the camera's moving really quickly and you're like, what is happening? Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of Carl Urban, I just love all the all the kiwiness of this movie. You know, mm-hmm. just, that's also like the mm-hmm. just there's so many like kind of and what's the name of the, the actress? Richard Howes, like, yeah, just there's just a there's a there's a sensibility that those actors bring that is just it's just refreshing and fun to see in in the Marvel American blockbuster context. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I want I want more Kiwi energy in my movies (laughs) and Australian energy, too, because Australian energy. Yeah, yeah. everybody else. This was the the one Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum reunion that we needed. The only one that we needed. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, yeah, this movie knows how to use Jeff Goldblum doing his Jeff Goldblum thing right. so well in a way that Jurassic World Dominion just totally wasted in my eyes. <laughs> Join us on Patreon for our Jurassic right. World yeah. Dominion yeah. If you want to hear more thoughts on Jurassic World <laughs> Dominion. We have thoughts about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the... I think all the Marvel films, as far as the action goes, I think it is always best when it's about character. Really, all action is best when it's about characters. Yes, absolutely. About. But I think, yeah, there can be action sequences in movies where you feel the stakes. We talked recently about Top Gun Maverick and how yes. in those you know finale moments, it feels like there are stakes because you don't know what's going to happen. Like you genuinely, the, the movie has set up a world in which you don't know as an audience what the outcome is going to be. Uh, and so the steps that they're taking are compelling because you're wanting to know what's going to happen and what the fate of these characters um, will be in an existential way. And that it's also revealing character. And I think in movies like these big blockbuster IP things, finding ways to make each scene, whether it's action or not, about the character and how the characters can change, as you're pointing out, Trisha, is for me when those sequences work super well like what's it going to mean to these characters if something goes this way versus that way and that's what i'm hanging on and and wondering about and i think that's what's cool about endgame is that it manages to do that a lot but then there are these moments where i truly don't know for sure what's going to happen and you get that best of both worlds yes um yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cool. Well, why don't we move into lessons and what lessons we're going to take away from Thor Ragnarok. Brian, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I just want to also say that Idris Elba has never looked cooler than in this movie. Oh my and, God. And that's saying like a lot. Like cat eyes. So cool. Yes, my lesson is about Led Zeppelin and the girl with the dragon tattoo and expectation. Uh, I know, I think we've talked about this a little off mic, but I don't think I've ever actually mentioned it on the podcast. Um I love Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but it did this thing that I find baffling, which is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and Karen O oh of Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's did this electronic, energetic cover of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song. 
And when the first teaser came out, it was like, bam, bam, da, 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 the feel bad movie, bam, 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 <laughs> of Christmas, da, 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 and it was like, oh man, like this movie is going to be crazy and like energetic and action packed. And then, um, and, you know, there's a shot of her like opening the door and it looks like really bad. It's just literally her answering a door <laughs> in the movie. Um, and you could be like, oh, well, trailers are designed to put butts in seats, right? Like, so, you know, they they want people to think it's a different movie. Like, okay, fair. Then you sit down to watch the movie and the opening sequence plays the song and look at these images. Here we go. And it's like, okay, I guess this is going to be like this crazy. And then it's this like slowly paced kind of mystery thriller. And that's not to say it shouldn't be. I think the movie is the movie it should be. But the way that it's set up is setting you up to be like, you're going into this like crazy fast paced thing. And that's just not what it is. And I love the movie. I love the opening sequence and I love the teaser trailer. They, but when you put them all together, it's like, it took me a couple times to watch the movie and actually appreciate the movie for what it actually was. And not for what I had spent like months being led up to expect that it was going to be. Um, and then, uh, now take Thor Ragnarok, you know, the teaser comes out. This is like six years later, lo and behold, Led Zeppelin's immigrant song looks like it's going to be this really fun action movie. Then the movie starts and we get this energetic opening sequence set to immigrant song. It's everything the trailer suggested the movie was going to be. And it's telling you what the movie is going to be as we talked about at the top of the episode. And then it all pays off in that final battle on the Rainbow Bridge where it's like, here's the song again. Here's the kind of action we told you you were going to get. You're actually getting it. We are doing everything that we promised we were going to do at the top of this movie. Um, so, yeah, like I just feel like it's a really interesting lesson, just especially because they use the same exact song. Um, it's a really interesting lesson about how you market your thing, the way you start a script, the way you start a movie. If you're an editor or director, you can do the coolest thing ever. But if you are not properly setting expectations for what your actual thing is, then even if your opening is awesome or whatever, it could actually hurt the rest of the movie because it could put people in the wrong headspace, you know, and, and mean that they're disappointed by what they actually get, where they wouldn't have been disappointed if you had more accurately set up what it was going to be. Jurassic World Dominion, right? The trailer. Dinosaurs live among us. The opening five minutes. <laughs> Dinosaurs live among us. The actual movie basically has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with Locus. it. Locus. Yeah, <laughs> Locus. And we're on one very specific place with only 10 characters. Yeah. That's so interesting that that you felt like that was a misleading vibe, you know, that 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 trailer and and that song. Cause yeah, for some reason I never I never connected it as being like, this will literally be a fast paced. Sure like movie that like goes fast and hard and that's not going to happen to everyone but yeah 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 but yeah but i can but i can see how that would be yeah potentially like if you didn't know anything about the movie i think it's a fair point and to briefly defend dragon tattoo i feel like it's the opening for like the trilogy and Mm -hmm. like if you could watch all three of the movies back to back to back it would feel like the right opening but right it has images from all three like stories and stuff yeah to do that Um, yeah yeah. it was supposed to get maybe more intense yep shed a tear but yeah that's expectations within your movie and outside of your movie are always very important to consider for sure. Cool. Alex, what's your lesson? Uh, so my lesson goes back to the comedy again and just the power of a, ga- a good gag. You know, I think just there's so many scenes that are, are having to do an exposition dump, but I don't care because I'm enjoying the gag of that scene. So I was thinking about when, 
um thor first wakes up on the trash planet and he's in like the tomorrowland ride like chair <laughs> and is like going through the kind of like presentation you know it's like there's pure necessary... imagination <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly and, and and there's there's the pure exposition happening of just like we are now going to tell you these important facts about the place you are and what's going to happen next um but i'm so enjoying the satire of of the form the exposition is coming in and, and, and it's perfect satire with the perfect tone of voice, the perfect music, as you said, the the perfect like the speaker just kind of wobbled in like a perfect way. So it it's doing a gag 100 percent while it's also delivering information. Um, like we mentioned, the uh, the gag of throwing things at Loki. So even though I don't really care that much what we're talking about in this scene, I'm enjoying the perfect timing of the rock throws mm. and how it's interplaying with their conversation. Um, and, you know, just even uh, Kate Bunch's character, like walking through the like the kind of like storeroom of uh, objects <laughs> like below, you know, whatever. Like I, I don't I'm supposed to know probably what most of the objects are in <laughs> the Tesseract, whatever. But but I just yeah, every every moment there's a second thing happening uh, the way she's commenting on them are like that one's impressive nad but not that one there's like a gag vibe at all times that makes all the information go down easy and gives me a layer of entertainment even if i don't care about this specific necessary plot thing um so yeah just a great great uh, example of how to use gags throughout the movie to just provide pure entertainment on another level on on top of the necessary plots information being conveyed. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple things at once. Always good. And if they could be yes. funny and entertaining, even better. Yeah. Yes. Trisha. Well, my lesson is a little related to the comedy aspect as well. Um, but I was thinking once again about why Marvel characters end up being so beloved and they seem so human and um, relatable and like, you know, whereas DC characters often feel not that. Um, and I talked to, I talked a little bit about this when I think it was on our civil war podcast, um, or it was our, our Endgame and infinity war podcast, but it was basically like Marvel is able to find the humanity of those characters. And I think this movie is a really good example of where that humanity comes in. And it's in the characters flaws. Like these characters are allowed to look ridiculous. They're allowed to make bad decisions. They are allowed to make mistakes and fall down. And like it, it, they do that a lot in this movie. All of them do. Um, like Thor makes a lot of miscalculations <laughs> and bad choices. And a lot of that is comedy comes in, right? Like even just something as simple as he throws the ball against the window and it comes back and whacks him in the head, right? Like <laughs> is so good. It's it's awesome, but again, it it's just like Thor looks ridiculous. He's a little silly. He made a miscalculation. He made a bad decision um, just in that little moment, right? And then he pops up and tries to act like it's not a big deal. Um, same thing even with like just at the beginning where he's like got to grab the hammer, right? And he's like, that's what heroes do. And then he has to wait. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't time that right. I'm sorry. Hang on. Mm -hmm. That's what heroes do. You know, again, those are moments that are being played for comedy, but they're also humanizing the characters. Like if he had said, that's what heroes do. And the hammer flew in right there and he looked cool and just did cool things only. We wouldn't like him as much if he were just cool. 
Like, he has to be flawed and a little silly. I think the peak example of this in this movie is Valkyrie, right? She's, like, kind of messy and drunk all the time and, like, makes a lot of mistakes and miscalculations. And um, she is still, like, a cool character, but she's flawed. Um, And that's, again, it's where comedy meets humanity. And so I can't imagine some of the stuff that happens to all the characters in this movie. Like, the Hulk jumps out of the spaceship because he's going to go fight on the rainbow mm-hmm. bridge and he doesn't transform in time and he just falls and like rolls on the bridge, right? Like that's bad timing. It's miscalculation. It's a flaw. It's a problem. It's a mistake. And it makes Hulk look ridiculous for a few seconds in this case. Can you imagine that? Like any DC hero that happening, that exact thing happening to them? Mm. Like that, is that ever going to happen to Batman ever? Like, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, and I, I don't know, Marvel is, and obviously they're wildly different kinds of superheroes and superhero movies, but I just feel like Marvel is so good at knowing when to make a really, really, really cool superhero character look silly <laughs> um, or make a mistake on screen. And we just love them that much more. We love them in their mistakes because we see ourselves when they're making silly mistakes. On the topic of making action heroes super beloved, I'm I'm on a campaign to make us talk about RRR because I think that's a it's a, that movie takes another approach to making you just super 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 love the main action heroes, which is not necessarily them like falling flat and looking silly during action scenes, but like deep earnest like brotherly love. Uh, and I, I think there's there's something about just like yeah, letting us get access to just like a like an unabashed humanity mm-hmm. of a character. They they don't always have the steely cool facade on but like there's something almost embarrassingly earnest and like sweet about this person now i'm in love with you now you're not just a symbol you're a you're like a full-fledged person that i can like i want to hang out with there's a a video essay about the concept of bathos um which is yeah leading up to a big moment and then sort of throwing it away for for a comic effect uh, or at least that's how it's um described in the video uh specifically talking about Last Jedi and how like a lot of the big moments in that movie are sort of undercut by then at the end mm-hmm. of the scene being like, anyway, just kidding. Or like, here's a, here's a joke now or whatever. And it's interesting because all the moments you're talking about, Trisha, I was noticing this during the movie, it's sort of bathos, but in the middle of the sequence. So it's like, right. Because that's what here hit with the ball. And then he picks it up. He's like, because that's what here to do. And then he jumps out of the window and you get this really cool slide right. down the building or like Hulk does get his big moment. It's just interrupted with like a little joke where he doesn't get his big, he doesn't get his mm. like entrance the way he wants it, but he does then get the moment. Right. So I think like that's where that kind of concept is used really well, where it's like, we are going to throw a little joke in here, but you are also going to get the thing that you were hoping for. Yes. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think that's a really good observation. Cause I, I think they're, there have been things in DC movies or other superhero movies where, you know, it, it is that that the bathos that you're describing the wrong way to do it, Brian, where it's like build up, build up, slip and fall, stand up. Well, that didn't go so well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wait for applause and then move on. Like that doesn't work <laughs> either. Um, and I think what's interesting, you know, we talked about the Batman recently and then I think we've all kind of rewatched it Um I've rewatched it and appreciated it a lot more a second time. But I feel like the Batman, while not being humorous, does give like Bruce Wayne, give Batman these moments of failure where he is. Mm -hmm. It is humanizing him and allowing us to see some of these flaws. And I think that's just such a critical thing that you're bringing up here, Trisha, of like 
we we're aligned with their goals, but they have these flaws that are like self obstacles and overcoming those makes it ultimately more impactful when you see Thor arrive with this hammer glowing with all this lightning. And I guess he doesn't have a hammer. Uh, yeah. Or he's like just made lightning. Of lightning now. Right. Yeah. He's just made of lightning <laughs> and like Tessa Thompson walking out of the fireworks so ship in cool. the coolest slow-mo shot ever. Like all <laughs> yeah. that is earned because we've, we know what they want. We've seen their flaws and we've been with them as they overcome those flaws. Yeah, uh, so my last one is going to be about comedy also. <clears throat> and I feel like we basically have, have now covered all the things that I was going to say. But I, I think to to sum up, I think this movie, what I'm taking away from this movie and this conversation is how a reminder of how rich a toolbox comedy can be. And that it is harder than people think, but it is also mm-hmm. this amazing tool that gives you access to all the most important parts of telling a story and getting people emotionally involved and setting a tone and, and giving you dynamics and all those things. Uh, so yeah, I want to watch it again now and I'm excited. I'm excited for love and thunder to see how this, how yeah. this continues. So excited. Mm. Um, I've only seen the first teaser, so I, I don't, I don't know anything. Um, and I'm excited about it. apparently Christian Bale's in it though, which is, <laughs> is exciting. He's in the, the, the full trailer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, so we're going to go into what we've been watching recently as a reminder. The next episode will be about Get Out, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, Alex, what have you been watching recently? So Brian and I recently went to the Alamo Draft House to see, to eat some food and then <laughs> watch Crimes of the Future, <laughs> the new David Cronenberg movie. <laughs> It was definitely like, uh-huh. yeah, not the most appetizing movie yeah. um, to eat food during. Uh, but yeah, uh, David Cronenberg, this is definitely his return to just pure body horror imagery in the style of like Videodrome or Existence. Uh, and yeah, so it was very, uh, yeah, it was very Cronenberg. It had this like very, very interesting like palette to it where it's like it felt very small and kind of indie in a lot of ways and even the kind of the prosthetics and the effects felt kind of retro uh but also yeah just spun this very strange mood of of this like future where it's just like you know everything's gotten so extreme which feels kind of like feels thematically resonant with just like the internet and just kind of a detachment that people feel so interesting movie. Not sure how I feel about it, but I'm going to process all those feelings very soon on the Dismembering Horror podcast, which is oh nice co-hosted by our friend Ryan McDuffie. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out again, and uh, and I will be breaking it down more over there. Uh, all the Cronenberg body horror weirdness. So yeah, Crimes of the Future is what I've seen lately. If you can uh, stomach it, um, yeah, like it's <laughs> it's very much a movie where like you realize. It's not the shocking stuff is not just there to shock you. It's all thematically connected. And, right. you know, like like Alex and I were talking about, like every scene, every like decision in that movie is like speaking to this kind of theme that the movie is is is, you know, working with basically. And like that for me made me able to like connect to it and not just be like, well, we're doing another shocking, crazy thing again. I was like, oh, no, I understand yeah, it- why we're doing this. I was actually like pleasantly surprised by the thematic coherence and how 
the movie was focused. It wasn't just look at all the gooey stuff we can do. It was this is about something. Uh, so, yeah, really interesting movie. Also doesn't take itself too seriously, which is <laughs> refreshing. Yes. <laughs> yes, it knows how weird it is. And it's almost satirical yeah. in its, its vision of the future. Yeah. Nice. Not going to speak for Michael, but I'm going to go ahead and not check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you would. I don't think either of you would enjoy it a whole lot. Krista, yeah. uh, on Tuesday, do you want to uh, not go to that movie together and just do something else? <laughs> Thank you for asking me. I would love to not go to that movie on Excellent. Tuesday. Just go sit outside the theater. <laughs> <laughs> just not see it. Awesome. Uh, okay. Well, so then, Brian, what have you been watching recently? I watched Suspicion, the Apple TV Plus series. Um, which the the plot of it is Uma Thurman plays this media mogul whose son is kidnapped. And then there are five suspects who are rounded up who they're like, we had nothing to do with this. So they end up teaming up together to kind of find out, like, why are we being targeted? What's really going on here? And that kind of thing. Um, and it's I don't know if it's the kind of thing I would normally watch, but my dear, dear friend Kunal Nair is the first credited of uh, like in, in the opening credits and everything. And he's one of the five suspects. Um, and uh, and it's it's great. He um, he gets to play some dramatic roles and, you know, he's, he's taking on a lot of new work right now. And I drove him to his first audition in L.A. back in 2006, Aww. picked him up the airport and took him to the audition. And then we went and drove around singing to Guns N' Roses. And uh, then I took him back to the airport a few hours later. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, it, it's uh, it was it's great. You know, I'm proud as a friend, but also it's just it's an entertaining series that I enjoyed. Um, it's kind of a, a whodunit, you know, sort of thriller thing. And there's like a really cool midpoint switch that happens that throws things into a, in a whole new direction. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you're down for that kind of um, it's like not disposable network kind of thing it's also not prestige like you know mayor of east town or something like that it's like so it fits nicely in the middle where it's very entertaining and uh and i think worth checking out awesome nice cool very cool okay trisha what have you been watching yeah, so I finally decided to watch a show that people have been recommending to me for a while um so i'm watching sense eight Mm. Uh, I know I went back and I was like, I should finally watch this show, the Wachowski's show, um, that they made on Netflix and, um, what a, what a show it is. I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's, you know, if you don't know, it's about psychics, uh, who that's like, they have a powerful eight people who have a powerful connection with each other and they're all around the world and they're all psychically connected to each other. And it's just a show about vibes, really. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to put it. It's, it's like, just a show about vibes and editing, basically. Yeah. And super queer. Super oh, yeah, queer oh, vibes yeah, yeah. and editing. It's also yeah. really sexy and really queer. And like, I, yeah. I love all There's of that. There's mind orgies. Right. I, it's June, so it's Pride Month. So I'm like, I'm just going to watch a bunch of psychic orgies. Um, yeah. It's great. It's awesome. Like, it's that's what I want from this show. Like, I don't know. Yeah. If you're going to have a, a, a show about eight people around the world that are psychically like aligned like then why not um yeah and like i'm into season two now so i haven't quite finished all of it uh but i really like it and there's some there's some really interesting like 
some of the stuff in it, I would say, is like not predictable, but I'm just like, I've seen this kind of a plot before, or like I've seen this character archetype before, and some sometimes in a way that's really helpful where it's like easy to get a grip on what's going on. But then there are other moments where I'm like, I genuinely have never seen a character like this before or a relationship like this that's portrayed in quite this way. Um, and I just think there's some really, there's like a lot of beauty in there. Um, and like, I don't have any idea. <laughs> like I didn't know that they had made this or that how they had made this. Um, but if you like the Wachowskis, you'll like it. I promise. It's great. Awesome. Cool. Okay. What have you been watching, Michael? So to keep on theme, uh, I watched Moon Knight. I'm a little bit late to the party, ah. but Moon Knight, Disney Plus show. Uh, and so a friend who's into the comics and into the MCU recommended to me, like, don't research anything about it. Don't look anything up. Just watch it. Like, just go in as cold as you can. I was like, okay. Uh, and I think that was good advice. Uh, and so I would give that same advice to people. Um, that haven't seen it. So I'm not going to talk about uh, what it's about even really. But the way that Thor Ragnarok kind of carves out its little corner of the MCU to play in, I think Moon Knight carves out a cool little space for itself. It's a different space, uh, but it feels distinct in the MCU. And there's some cool filmmaking. Oscar Isaac gets to show off and he's super yep. great. It's super fun to watch him. The supporting cast is really fun. Like Ethan Hawke is good. Uh, May Kalamai, Kalam, I don't know how to say her last name. I'm butchering it, but she's really good. I didn't know who she was, but she's, you know, a, a pretty critical part. So anyway, the cast is cool. The filmmaking is cool. The concepts and ideas are pretty cool. I saw that there was discourse about it on Twitter, and I tended to look away. And so I can't remember if people were like, oh, this is really great, or oh, this really sucks. But I really liked it. Um, and uh, I would highly recommend it to you guys if you haven't seen it. Alex, I think if you were going to watch an MCU show, I Whoa. I, I would recommend... This is the one? I think this I'd, is I'd the agree one. with that. Yeah. So I mean, no promises. Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac's my guy. So yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah, I think yeah, that 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 helps. Yeah, like to to stick with Michael's, you know, not wanting to to say too much. I will just say that, like, as as opposed to what a movie can do, the series in the middle takes a few episodes to just be like, we're just going to spend some time with character and like really do character work. Um, so actually my favorite part of the series is like the middle where they're like, we're not even that worried about like the superhero stuff going on right now. Um, we are just going to like really spend time with these characters and get to know them. So like that, that I thought was really lovely. Yeah, no, it's very competently done. It's still an MCU show, but I feel like it's a good entry point for people that may have an allergy to some of those things. I think this is a, I, I really enjoyed it. Listen, I'm going to be on some airplanes and trains soon traveling. So hey. there you go. I'm going to I'm going to download this. I'm going to watch Excellent. it. Nice. Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Here I come. <laughs> Lots of Oscar Isaac. OK, cool. Well, this has been our conversation on Thor Ragnarok. Uh, thank you, as always, to the patrons for making the show possible. Thank you guys for suggesting topics and thanks to pay attention to. That's always. Uh, yeah, finding it helpful and like frames the viewing experience and I think gives us some cool jumping off points. So if you want to suggest some topics for Get Out, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. That's going to be a fun conversation. There's so many, oh my God, so many things to talk about. So much to talk uh, about. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, uh, thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayotos. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you in the next episode with our discussion of Get Out. Bye, everybody. Sun's getting real low. Bye. <laughs>